Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. I am just as shocked as you are that we haven't been kicked off of iTunes yet. So let's uh, let's keep it going. This is the fourth official episode. And today I have a very special guest with me, uh, Adrienne Langelier. Uh, she is a counselor and sports psychologist consultant based out of the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, she's affiliated as well with the Methodist Sports Medicine Human Performance Team uh, out there in the Woodlands. And she's a, a very, very interesting individual. I actually got connected to her through James Gilreath, who you heard a couple of episodes ago because he's done some work with her over the years. And she's worked with a range of individuals from youth athletes to Olympic level athletes. So, Adrian, welcome to Millennial Manhood. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your practice and uh, really when James and I reached out to you about coming on and, and participating in the podcast, what, what attracted you to the idea? Well, for starters, it's probably pretty obvious to the listener that I am not a man. However, I work with about half my clientele is young men. So I thought it might be kind of interesting to have a female perspective on this show and I'm, you know, always about kind of getting the word out about not necessarily what I do, but just the field in general and just how it can benefit uh, quite a great deal of us. Yeah. And you, you work in a very unique field because I think a lot of the, just the general public doesn't, you know, most people don't hire some sort of a, a coach or counselor in their everyday mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting because when James told me about it, so in my business, uh, being in the in the financial services world and owning my own practice, I actually have a business coach that I pay who basically her job is to just get the clutter out of the way. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not even so much telling me how to do my job as much as it's just making me stop getting in my own way. So is, is that how you would describe your job on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that is uh, one of the things. And I think that's kind of one of the beginning pieces of the work I do. We can't go any further unless whoever is sitting in front of me has a relatively uncluttered mind. I mean, we live in the Instagram Snapchat age, so that's kind of a hard thing to completely clear them out. But um, once, you know, we kind of get them to a certain stage is that's when, say, I'm working with a high level athlete. I'm able to provide tools and equip them for whether it's competing, whether it's just kind of dealing with things off the field or track or whatever. Hopefully that answer makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And you said. So there is a coaching. Sorry to cut you off there. There is kind of a coaching component to what I do. But, um, you know, with the type of education and training I have, I'm able to go a level deeper with individuals as well. What does the LPC behind your name stand for? Licensed professional counselor. Okay. So it's a, it's a certification just making you more credible in that space? It is. Well, you, you, we kind of have to have it uh, in the state of Texas to practice independently. So it was something that it was a career goal for a long time is, you know, I was kind of going back and forth when I was in college. Do I want to just get the master's and then get the certifications or do I want to become Dr. Longelier? Well, long story short, obviously, I went the master's route. and I'm actually quite happy that I did that because I was able to kind of get in the field and get my hands dirty 
years earlier than had I stayed in school a little bit longer, which we need the research and we need the people in the academic world. But I think I am, you know, right here, right now where I'm supposed to be. So how did you get into the business? Oh, wow. Um, I've told this story on a handful of podcasts already, but uh, always been fascinated by people. I'm a lifelong athlete. So um, the two started kind of coming together when I was younger and they converged when I was in college. Um, And I love telling this story. I was going to dinner with uh, my best friend from we've been friends for probably 20 years or something like that. And I'm babbling on about, you know, something I learned in class and uh, I was working as a personal trainer at the time as well. So um, she was just like, have you ever thought about being a sports psychologist? Like, I don't remember what led, you know, kind of us into that conversation, but I was just like, that's cool. But uh, that sounds like almost impossible to get into. I was assuming it was like breaking into like the secret service or something like that. It was reserved for the few And uh, soon enough, but that idea stuck with me. I was like, maybe I can make this happen. So I uh, started reaching out to other people in the field. I had a professor who um, I still talk to. I'm having coffee with him this coming Friday, actually. And his background was sports psych. So it just happened that I was in the right place in the right time at Texas A&M University and had the right relationships to kind of help guide me and funnel me towards the career path that I'm on. And uh, it didn't, you know, there's been a lot of work getting me to where um, I am today because I went uh, to graduate school for clinical psychology. And um, I still had in the back of my mind, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to eventually kind of marry my my uh, clinical background with my athletic background. So, you know, I would do projects that were related to athletics and uh, all that kind of stuff, which I was kind of the the oddball of my cohort, but uh, I didn't care. And I was also training uh, pretty seriously for road races at the time too. So this was my, this was my life back then. I guess it kind of still is now. But um, anyway, kind of after that, um, I just started working kind of in the general counseling field. So really put that LPC to work and uh, just decided one day to just go up to the program director of the uh, practice I was working at and said, hey, would you mind if I did some experiments and uh, started maybe counseling some athletes? And um, they were all about... uh, I guess, kind of bringing more people in the door. So they okayed that. And uh, kind of as time went on, I started seeing more and more, I guess they were liking what I was doing with them. Uh, All the way to 10 years later, um, I have my own practice and I'm working with probably 25, 30 people a week. Have you seen in the last decade or so a change in in what is impacting um, high performance individuals from reaching their potential? Okay. uh, Yes. One thing that I've noticed, and it's not really dramatic, but it's definitely there, is these athletes have the potential to be more distracted than ever. Um, All you have to do is unlock your phone to see what your competitors are doing. Um, There's also the sponsorship obligations where they need to be posting what they're doing and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
in order to maintain their deals, like especially with high performers, that's something too, is teaching them how to compartmentalize that a little bit. Because, uh, you know, say 10 years ago, before this was really big, you just go do your thing, do your training, go home, recover, all that kind of stuff. Now you've got to post your self-training, come up with something witty and wise to say about it. Then you've got to feature what you're drinking after training and how you're recovering and all that kind of stuff. Um, some athletes kind of thrive off kind of having that, you know, attention and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the, uh, I work with a lot of individual sport athletes and that's a, a challenge that they've, they've uh, mentioned several times, several different athletes is just the balance of kind of being this persona but also being able to just kind of focus on what needs to be done and be able to turn that off and on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it might, and this is just me thinking through what you just said, but the different personality types. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know myself and, and I'll just use my own experience. Um, the glitter and the glam doesn't appeal to me at all. I don't care whatsoever yeah. about um, acknowledgement from others. The only thing I care about in my life, whenever I hit a goal is, did I hit my goal? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and I, I know other people, the recognition is everything. Yeah. And it, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just what motivates different people, yep. but I could see people who are more like me, how frustrating that could be, uh, because it's so counterintuitive to our nature in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're obviously a very intrinsically motivated person. And I think, you know, to get to a certain level, especially in athletics or business, whatever, you kind of have to have that because we're going to go through long periods without ever getting any recognition. And you've got to really trust what you're doing um, in order to reach that next level. Yeah, it's that whole trust the process. Yes, uh, yes, approach. yes, yes. The, the cliche, trust the process. But it's so true, though. Well, and do you, do you find talking to athletes, particularly younger athletes, particularly let's say younger men, so mm -hmm. let's say 22 straight out of college to 30, mm -hmm. um, because we're in such an instant gratification culture right now, do you find it harder and harder for them to stay committed to whatever process they're working? Uh, yes and no. And again, that kind of depends on the individual. Um, like, especially if they're in, they're trying to get into elite sport, like say they're wanting to be a post-collegiate athlete or a professional. Um, it's those critical years outside of college that determine, okay, am I going to commit and do this or am I better off serving my time somewhere else? And, uh, one of the kind of defining factors that I see in those who actually make it is, uh, self-belief is they truly believe that they are capable of doing these things. So therefore, the, you know, almost all their actions they take every day is in line with that belief system. Like one thing, you know, I've seen in young men is um, they have these, these plans, they have these ideas, um, and they get so, but yet they don't fully believe in their ability to carry it out and or, or lack the confidence. So they're undermining themselves. And a lot of times it's unconscious. But, uh, you know, we see it in behaviors as, you know, maybe they, they go out and have, you know, one or two more beers than they planned on doing, doing before their next workout. 
or, you know, they're just making these choices that just kind of undermine their process, their, their process. And it may not be, uh, you know, it may not be major and it's pretty subtle, but it all adds up where, you know, it's just the, the decisions they make aren't in line with what they're saying they're trying to do. And sometimes our decisions are ultimately guided by our belief system. So what do you think causes that belief system to where they would self-sabotage, uh, essentially? Oh, man. It could, that could be so many different things. It can be early experiences that they haven't dealt with. Um, you know, maybe it's stuff that, you know, goes pretty deep, like into family, um, how they were raised, uh, different circumstances that they were subjected to. Um, maybe it's past failures that they haven't let go of, or, you know, especially when it comes to failure, they haven't used. Um, and there's, you know, kind of on the subject to kind of, uh, go on a tangent real quick when it comes to failure is being able to respond appropriate to it as appropriately to it and not internalize it, but use it. And that's something, especially with kind of this generation of young guys I see is they really struggle with that. Um, and this isn't across the board, but I think it is because there's so many images of perfection and having it all out there and they feel like they're falling short. They start thinking, Oh, well maybe I don't have what it takes. Yeah, I see that all the time just in in the business world where mm-hmm. somebody might be 25, 26, and they're not a millionaire yet, mm-hmm. and they, they give up. And I'm sitting here thinking, dude, if it was that easy to yes. become rich yes, and successful, yes, yes. like what do you have to strive for in life if you're, success, if you're a millionaire by if 26? If it was that easy, we'd all be millionaires. Yeah, that's that's why it's something you strive for because it's hard. Yeah, that's that's the point. And that's but something I, too. It's just like I think that the difficulty of you know is of what it takes to actually you know quote unquote achieve your dreams is kind of lost. Well, and would you say that people are almost living others other people's dreams rather than their own? Sometimes. Uh, Actually, you know, a personal story is um, when I was in my 20s, um, I'm probably your oldest guest so far on the show, but because uh, <laughs> I'm no longer in my 20s, but uh, I had this this dream that was presented to me, which I kind of took it and no pun intended, ran with it. Uh, I was, you know, running for Brooks at the time and I was running pretty well of qualifying for the Olympic trials. And I had never thought of that. Uh, wasn't on my radar. Like I knew I was good at my sport, but uh, you know, I, I had other aspirations and other things that I wanted to do. But I was uh, given this idea, and it really wasn't mine. But I took it anyway. And uh, long story short, it just wasn't in the cards for me, and that's okay because there was so much I got from this experience. And from that kind of quote unquote failure that I think actually makes me, you know, a stronger person, you know, not just better at my job, but a stronger person at the same time. So, you know, and that's something I think that's so important for everybody that I work with is they learn how to work with failure, learn to work with setbacks and actually see it as something that's going to help them get to the next level. It is not something that's an indicator that they can't do something. 
Yeah, and adversity is where you find out your true character. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And that's part of, you know, how everybody talks about following your passion and stuff like that. And this is something I actually was talking about this uh, the other day with a friend of mine is, you know, how we see that we log on and we see messages about pursue your passion, fulfill your dreams, all this kind of stuff. You know, what they don't talk about is what it actually looks like that, you know, for me to build up for what I do, um, it took almost 10 years to get to where I'm at, um, which, you know, I've, of course, I'm not a millionaire or anything like that, but I actually have a great deal of job satisfaction. That wasn't always the case. I had to do a lot of things that I didn't want to do because of my passion, because of my vision. And it was worth um, having to do things that I didn't want to do and questioning, okay, can I actually do this? Is this going to work out? Those are very critical things that we need to work through. And, you know, some things with uh, the younger generation is, you know, not to criticize families too much, but I'm seeing this trend where they don't want their kids to suffer. And suffering, unfortunately, is kind of a part of life. I mean, we don't want them to be in excruciating pain. But as a society, we need to learn how to be uncomfortable and learn how to work with it instead of against it and flee from it. I want you to elaborate on the kids, parents not not wanting their kids to suffer because our generation in particular. Oh, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble today. <laughs> no, go, to, go for it because – so little little just anecdote, anecdote real quick. Uh-huh. Um, I, didn't, I didn't come to the States and I don't know, most people probably listening or not don't know this, but I, did, I didn't come to the States until I was 10 years old. Really? So, yeah, we didn't have – we would have field days and things like that, but we didn't have participation trophies. So I remember – playing in a basketball league at 11 in the States in Memphis. And we all got a trophy at the end of the season. And I was actually confused on why I got a trophy. I was about to say, that'd be a very confusing experience. Yeah. And my parents were like, why the hell are they getting trophies? (laughs) My dad's very, very much so on you, you earn in life. If you want a trophy, go get it. Right. Um, And, and so I really want you to elaborate on that because I think that's a fundamental issue in, in our society. Right. And that is uh, feedback that I get so often is, you know, and that's when I get some younger ones in my door is mom or dad, they have the greatest intentions, but they don't want their kids to suffer. And they're just like, oh, well, I, you know, I give them this, we buy them that. And it's all about their comfort versus them being able to work through things on their own. Like an example, um, you know, I live in suburban Houston, so it's a very, it's a fairly high SES community, uh, very high achieving people, um, very high achieving adolescents and 20 somethings as well. Um, but you know, part of it's a blessing to have the resources that they have, but at the same time, it's, you know, they struggle a little bit, Instead of, uh, you know, empowering their their youngster to try and work through it, a lot of times they're immediately hiring the tutors. They're immediately pulling a fire alarm because they don't want their grades to fall. Or, you know, that, that's just an example off the top of my head is it's one of those things instead of just letting uh, letting young people struggle, they're immediately trying to fix the situation for them. Does that make sense? 
And this yeah, is this is most definitely not every parent out there. Uh, this is just something that I see every now and then. Well, and it's what you said about having the best of intentions. So this yes. conversation is, yeah, we're not trying to belittle people's parenting skills. It's not. It's not about that. It's just oh, more I don't, about. I don't culturally. have kids. My hat. My hat's off to parents, especially uh, this day and age. Yeah, it's just more about the cultural context of yeah. what this generation and and the future generations are going through because the issue here is so and i really believe this but the united states isn't real life in a lot of ways uh people don't live around the world the way we live in the united states in particular we've got Mm -hmm. a lot of resources just culturally and societally Mm -hmm. um you know i can even the poorest parts of this society are nothing compared to some of the poorest parts around the world. So right. my fear from a cultural standpoint is if we don't if we don't understand and accept the fact that suffering is part of life and and that suffering is is what helps you um, develop as a human being that if or more more likely mm-hmm. when this society hits a massive bump from a from a standard of living standpoint think a great depression or something along those lines mm-hmm. How will we respond and how will we bounce back? Because mm-hmm. when the when the Great Depression happened, the people who went through the Great Depression were people who didn't have running water uh, ten years before. You, mm-hmm. you know, they they mm-hmm. had suffered already. Now it's like, oh no, my iPhone updated, yeah. my battery life is short. What am I going to do? Yeah, like what I'm literally dealing with right now with my phone. I've got little weird lines on the screen and. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that earlier. I was like, is this really a problem? No, it's no, it's an inconvenience. Um, but uh, anyway, well, when it comes to kind of bigger issues is, um, you know, something, and this is one of my favorite things to talk about, one of my favorite things to kind of help uh, cultivate in my clients is resilience. So um, I'm secretly pleased when they're kind of faced with obstacles, you know, nothing, nothing huge, obviously, but um, I want to help walk them through and help them discover the resources that resources that they have inside of them already that they didn't know was there. Um, whether that is kind of problem solving, like maybe uh, somebody's having relationship issues or something like that is, you know, helping them to really think through and get uncomfortable a little bit and have the conversations that they don't necessarily want to have, but it's something that will help move them forward. Um, And, you know, the more we get out of our comfort zone um, and the more we get kind of outside of our box, the more resilient we become. Um, And that's where I think kind of failure becomes a gift. And I'm biased because um, I've made a fair amount of mistakes in my life. Like I, you know, have a amazing career now and, you know, I did very, very well in college. But uh, before that, I was at a different university, almost failed out. So and the one thing kind of diverting back to talking about parents my parents did not bail me out. Um, they told me I needed to uh, step away, figure out what I really wanted to do, and learn how to solve that problem myself because it was my education, not theirs. And I think that's probably – I was so frustrated at the time because I wanted them to make it better for me, 
and they didn't. However, what they ended up giving me was probably one of the biggest gifts ever um, is because I gained a ton of strength from that. And it was an incredibly hard experience because I was really questioning what am I doing with my life? Um, do I actually have any purpose? Do I have what it takes? And, you know, once you hit that point, it's just like, okay, I need to, you know, let's just make a small good decision for myself. Then you move forward a little bit. Then you make another one. And then you look back six, 12 months later, you're a completely different person. Yeah. And, and that's key is the, little decisions you make every single day that help you move in the right direction because they, they start to compound on each other. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want you to elaborate on a little bit is you, you mentioned the word comfort zone. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit from a, from a purely psychological standpoint, what, why we seek to be in a comfort zone? Uh, well, human beings by nature were wired for comfort. Uh, we like to stay in homeostasis. We don't like change, uh, which is all fine and good, but we're not growing. If you want to be the same today through the day you die, don't ever take a risk. Um, You want to grow a little bit. You need to, it's just like strength training really is you need to meet a little bit of resistance. And it's amazing how much resistance we actually put on ourselves like um, you need to ask your boss for something or you need to speak up for yourself. There's that voice in our head that says, no, 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 this isn't going to go well. And it's like we're wired to kind of protect our egos. But at the same time, it's hindering us at the same time. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And so but when you say protecting our egos, A lot of uh, humans on a basic level, we fear rejection, don't we? Yes. Um, And is it really the rejection or is it how uncomfortable it's going to be? Or is it the shame that goes along with it? Um, And a lot of it, it's these are emotions that when we're younger, uh, especially in the States, we're kind of socialized not to feel, or it's something that we avoid. So it's something that, you know, as we grow up and become adults, that if we don't pay attention to it, it becomes a habit and kind of becomes ingrained in how we do things. And, um, you know, it, it, at the at best, um, you know, we play it safe and, you know, work paycheck to paycheck and get our bills paid on time and live an okay life. But at worst, we really miss out on being the people we were meant to be because of fear. So a lot of it is just rooted in fear and uh, just kind of that wiring that we don't necessarily like being uncomfortable. But if you do it enough, just like you were talking about you and your cycling, um, you get out of that comfort zone enough, you adapt. Yeah, and the rejection part is what's really interesting to me. Uh, what's it called? The Dunbar number, the 120 to 150 people. So something like that. Yeah. Yeah. We basically evolved as a species to live in a group of 120 to 150 people. And basically our, our brain hasn't evolved to living in a city of 2 million people yet. And when we, when we experience that rejection, our brain is freaking out because psychologically what we're thinking is, oh no, I'm going to get kicked out of the group. And to our Mm -hmm. ancestors, that meant death. Mm -hmm. It did. And 
one of the things that my coach is actually we get rejected, we don't eat. Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things my coach has actually helped me. In reality, with, you're just having dinner by yourself, and you'll be fine. <laughs> in front of a TV, so you still got you still got people. pretty much, pretty much. And some people are holding their cell phone while yeah. they're doing those things. So very very unmindful practice, people. Exactly. We don't want to do that. <laughs> but anyway, go on. But so one of the things my coach has taught me is that when you experience some irrational fear of something that obviously is is not life-threatening, to Mm -hmm. actually talk to yourself and acknowledge that your brain is trying to protect you in the sense that saying, hey, brain, thank you for trying to protect me. Uh, I need you to stop because there's no actual fear. And it's incredible because it works. Your brain actually goes, oh, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like I tell my athletes all the time is because, you know, when you race, it's a very nerve-wracking experience getting on the starting line. And I have them work on framing the situation as a challenge as opposed to a threat. Um, Because, yeah, your brain's all lit up and there's all kind of stuff happening psychologically and neurologically. But it's up to us how we read that experience. And if it's a challenge, we're going to go after it. Um, You know, because that's one thing our culture is really good at is going after challenges. So give an example of how you would help somebody reframe a situation. Okay, so um, I've worked with a number of triathletes in uh, over the years, and the Woodlands is a pretty uh, triathlon-centric community. There's a lot of people that do them, uh, elites through just kind of age groupers and stuff like that. Swimming in the open water freaks a lot of people out. Um, when I did triathlons, I'll be honest, it freaked me out too um, at first until I got used to it. And um, what I've done is I've literally gone out and stood on the shoreline with somebody I was working with and they did not want to get in at all. So, you know, I'd work with them, get your ankles in. Now let's get knee deep, waist deep, all that kind of stuff. And uh, the way I talk to them is whenever you feel threatened or you feel afraid is you need to think this is a challenge and I rise to the occasion or something along those lines, literally changing their internal dialogue because inside you're still going to be electric and freaking out and buzzing all over the place, but changing that experience and uh, switching the dominant dialogue will help you get through that experience. Well, like with me, like with public speaking is, um, you know, it's not anything that I would say I'm particularly good at still, but it used to terrify me because of fear of rejection, fear of being judged, all that kind of stuff. So I turned it into an experiment, um, and this is something I also have people do too, is let's just do the thing that really freaks you out. Um, just get out there and see what happens. Uh, it's You're more than likely not going to die. And it's okay if you mess up once or twice. Um, like giving people the permission to not be perfect or for not to for it not to go a hundred percent, a lot of times helps them perceive the experience as doable. Like say maybe the person doesn't want to swim say 500 meters in the open water, but can they get to the first buoy? Of course they can. So that's what we have to focus on so we can clear that hurdle. That's really interesting. I like the way you said reframing it from actually saying this is a challenge and I rise to the occasion. I think that's yeah. that's so, so key 
in so Powerful many ways. Language, man. That's that's really yeah. powerful. I'm going to use this all the time now. Nice. I, yes, there's there, there's something useful in this podcast. I'm just kidding. Boom, there we go. <laughs> well, I, Mike drop, baby. I have to, I have to, I do a lot of training with some of these younger guys who get in the business and, and the mm-hmm. issue that I'm coming across and really I'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart because I'm not getting compensated to, to, to really help them as much as I do. I just know people mm-hmm. pour it into me, so I'm pouring it to them. And the struggle that I'm coming across with, with a lot of these younger guys is they, they want, so let the financial services world, so financial advisors, mm-hmm. When you're starting out, you're basically cold calling and begging people to meet with you. That's fundamentally yep. what you're doing. Um, now you get seven years in, like I am. Yeah, you get you get phone calls from people. You get referred by your existing clients, and it's a completely different conversation. But five six years ago, I was going pharmacy to pharmacy, walking in, basically saying, "Hey, who's the pharmacy manager? Let me talk to them." And yeah. then we go, you know, hang out where the they do flu shots, and I would try to talk to them about finance. But mm-hmm. these guys want to be at the point where somebody who's 15, 20 years in the career, who has a client base of a thousand clients, that's where they want to be. So when I talk to them about getting rejected or getting hung up on when they're cold calling or whatever it may be, they tend to take it so personal. And and the fact that they're kind of like you said, the coddling of, of our parents to this generation, the fact that they're finally getting rejected in life, they can't handle it. It, right. it breaks them so quick. Right. And I don't think that that was as prevalent 40 years ago, um, particularly in this career, but I'm sure in other careers as well, where you just saw maybe rejection or struggling or whatever maybe as just more part, a part of life. Maybe I'm romanticizing the past, but I don't know. But it's, that's, that's really key in in so many fields. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, you know, we kind of live in a culture of approval um, where the like has replaced um, stuff that's actually more meaningful. Because, like, we'll go back to kind of the topic of rejection. And, um, you know, it's again, it's how we perceive it. It's how we frame the experience is, say, what if these guys went in and doctor said, no, get out of here. What What is it that they could change with their approach? And if we can get past the pain um of not being successful and people not responding to us the way we want them to um then it becomes learning then it becomes growth and then we get stronger so we we kind of have to look at it almost like mental training is almost like physical training in a sense is we do these things we get sore it hurts we do it you know in a in a healthy way we recover and get stronger that's a really good approach to it as well, thinking about it from that standpoint. And the other thing that I've noticed is a lot of these- Yeah, again, it's not personal, it's objective. Yeah. So, you know, I actually make templates for my athletes and uh, after they compete or something like that, that's good or bad. And I'm sure they get sick of doing these written exercises, but I want them to actually write because you're actually encoding the information more, you're stopping, you're thinking- is I have them spell out, okay, how did you feel? How nervous were you? How anxious were you? Uh, I use kind of the these dots and curve, performance curve. Um, how did you feel when it was finished? What was the result? What did you take away from this experience? And what did you learn about yourself and about your sport? And we stop and we really think about that. Suddenly we're not thinking, oh, I suck, 
or, oh, I'm the greatest ever, this and that. It's not really about them. It's about the process. It's about learning. It's about becoming better at your craft. So would you say that the athletes who have coasted on a lot of talent, and I don't want to say coasted because I think once people get to the level where you're coaching them that they've had to work hard because natural selection would have weeded them out if they were lazy or or hadn't worked hard. But but the ones that are more naturally talented, would you say that sometimes they struggle more with adversity than the ones who may be less naturally talented and had to face adversity earlier in life? Ooh, I I have to say sometimes, like I have this phrase spoiled by their own talent. Um, and this was, you know, again, a personal experience I had um, is I'm not the world's most gifted runner, but for a while, all I did was win. And I remember the first race I got fourth place in, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, who am I? Am I as good as I thought I was? And then it's like me, 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 I, 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 instead of, wait, what, you know, Maybe this is how it's supposed to be, and maybe I needed this experience, so I know how to, you know, respond to the situation a little bit better and stuff like that. Because um, one of the one of the things I really see is kind of a questioning of their ability if something doesn't work out. It's almost like an identity crisis. Can be, yes. Interesting. That. Not, not everybody goes through that, but. Um, especially those who aren't trained to kind of look at setbacks and adversity objectively. The human brain is so fascinating because it makes me, yeah, it, it just makes me question and wonder how many, successful either athletes or business people or mm-hmm. sous chef. I, I don't know where, where, where kept from their full potential because of what's going on between their two ears. Right. And, you know, kind of on a, on a, uh, neuropsychological level, just kind of take this maybe in a slightly different direction, is, I told you my conversations are pretty organic, but uh, every decision we make, if we make the same, or we think a thought, we think it over and over again, that's going to form a neural connection. Um, mm. That is going to become our dominant pathway. Um, that's why it's so important to things we say to ourselves, the, the belief systems that we cultivate, because literally it's our wiring. And that's why it's so hard to break habits. Yes, it is because they are hardwired, and uh, it's you know it's one of those things. It's like sculpting some wood. It's like there's something really cool inside, but you have to have the patience and the diligence to chip away to find what you're actually looking for uh, to kind of create that picture. So this is something like people they come and see me and they think, oh, well, you know, maybe we could just have a session or two and then be done with it. Some people, yeah, that's great. Maybe we just need to talk something out before they go compete or something like that. But a lot of times, like uh, working on your mind is it can be a lifelong pro- it can be a lifelong process. It's not like we can just eat one healthy meal and be healthy. You know, it takes again and again and again consistent, you know, having that consistent, uh, you know, that consistent diet, same thing with our thoughts and our mindset and all that kind of stuff is it takes consistency. It takes a degree of discipline. And it's one of those things we're constantly growing because the brain's always, you know, changing itself. There's a gentleman out of Illinois who, um, 
he was a managing partner at my firm for many, many years. And he's a, he's a really interesting guy. His name is John Wright Sr. And he actually does a lot of uh, coaching and training. He, he used to be in NFL. He was like the second overall pick in 1970 or something. Mm-hmm. So world-class athlete. But he said something really interesting to me a couple of years ago. Um, he said, I hate when people come to me and say, I need help with my discipline. You don't need help with your discipline. You need help with your habits. You're very disciplined to your bad habits. We need to change your bad habits. That's what yeah. we need to fix. And that was yeah. very eye-opening to me. Yeah, and I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with change is they see the gap of where they are and where they want or need to be. It scares them. Um, like one of the reasons we fail and procrastinate is because the task is too big or too ambiguous. And one thing that I think a lot of us aren't very good at is being able to break that down and set these small manageable goals. Like one thing I call out the young men uh, that I work with um, is, you know, being where they are and working with that, um, like especially like if I'm dealing with somebody who's been injured and maybe they have a lot of accolades, but they're nowhere near where they were. And that's very hard for them because that's one thing I see with these guys is they are what they do. Um, they are kind of what they produce and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I try to train them. Uh, and, you know, the females too, is there's so much emphasis on doing, but not so much on being. And sometimes being actually precedes doing. And to kind of unpack that a little bit, doing is win this award, uh, run this time, score this many points, you know, all that kind of stuff. Lead your team. Be. Be kind. Be diligent. Be a leader. Be yourself. Um a lot of times we get that reversed, and I actually kind of stole that from uh, Mike Gervais. He's one of he's the uh, sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks amongst other athletes, and he's actually one of our role models. And I, I thought it was kind of profound one day. I was listening to his podcast, and they were talking about being and doing, and I was just like, "Oh my God, that's amazing!" And this is what we're missing. So getting people to a point where they can just be. Maybe you have to be injured for a while. Maybe you have to be upset and be going through something right now. But by being that, you can become strong and you can be strong. So uh, kind of back up to what I was talking about is be like, okay, so you're struggling right now. This is where you are. Okay. Uh, Say I'm working with uh, elite swimmer or something like that. You're not near your best times. I know that's really that's really frustrating and you don't like it, but can you show up tomorrow and can you, you know, work so hard that you're just hanging off the deck and can you repeat that tomorrow? Can you take off half a second this competition from the next competition? And their answer normally is always, yes, but that's not good enough. So getting them to get past the but it's not good enough thing is another challenge. But getting them to just kind of, again, just learn to show up and let that just become what they do all the time. Yeah, so, well, and that's that's kind of the problem of, you know, Stephen Covey said begin with the end in, end in mind. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is when the end is so far away from 
Right. You know, he didn't say the very end in mind. He said the end in mind. Yeah. Okay, well, the end might be this week or 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 a month from now or a quarter from now. Like I don't do I don't do annual goals um for from a business standpoint. I do quarterly and then I break those down by weeks and, and days. Um, because I know the way my mind works is I will procrastinate the crap out of this if I know I've got a year to go. <laughs> yeah. So well, it needs to be something that you can see. It needs to be something that is just challenging enough to get you out of bed every morning on the right path. It can't be so much that it overwhelms you because I know you know, to kind of get into that uh, flow state that everybody talks about, which is absolutely amazing to be in. Hopefully you've experienced this in your life. But uh, it's when challenge and... Uh, the opportunity and all that kind of stuff are, it's, it's just the right amount of challenge for you kind of lose yourself in the activity. It can't be too easy nor too hard. And that's something that I spend a lot of time with is learning who the athlete is so we can kind of help them challenge themselves just enough to grow, but not enough to take it, you know, not so much where they stagnate and get frustrated. Well, and what, I, what I've loved about this conversation that you and I have had is that even though you're talking about particularly here, uh, very elite athletes, everybody can take. Oh, it's applicable. Yeah. It, and that's what's so cool is like these athletes really aren't that different than anybody else. That's one thing I've learned from, you know, working with some of, you know, the top of their, their field is we're all human, you know, and why can't we all have these qualities and why can't we all grow and develop? Exactly. And, and I think, what you said earlier about not being comfortable or I guess fighting through being exclusively comfortable because we do want to be comfortable at certain times is, is what helps us grow. So, um, I've, I've really, I've got four pages worth of notes of stuff. You, you kept saying things and I was like, Oh man, I didn't really need to apply this. Um, uh, it's like I got a free, uh, free, uh, uh, coaching session. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, hey. Everybody gets a session who listens to this. You get a session, you yeah. get a session. It's like over, over exactly. here. <laughs> You've listened to my stuff before. You know, you knew what you're getting yourself into with this conversation. I know, but the cool part about hosting a podcast is the fact that I get to uh, ask follow-up questions when when I hear something really good. I'm like, oh yeah, that. Let, let me let me expand on that. Um, but we're running up on time. I wanted I wanted to give you the opportunity to. Uh, really uh, plug your business and your services and, and anything else that you would like to uh, share with the listeners. Um, you know, is there anything in particular that you, you'd like for everybody to know about? Well, first of all, thanks for listening and uh, putting up with the sheer 45 minutes of pain that I put y'all through. Uh, but uh, I'm just kidding guys. Um, yeah. I, uh, work with pretty much people all across the country. So I'm pretty accessible. I have a uh, website, which is my last name, spc.com. So longelyaspc.com. Um, I just launched a new project that is uh, web communities. So, you know, it's kind of a, a sports site for everybody, performance coaching for everybody, where people ideally are going to be able to interact with each other. And, you know, we're uploading content probably every other day or so on there. So we're kind of, I'm excited about that. That's new as of this past month. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I'm on pretty much every social media outlet there is. So if anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to shoot an email or anything like that because, um, you know, I'm really passionate about helping others and also just helping this uh, wonderful, amazing field that I work with, that that I work in, uh, become more accessible, more real uh, to everybody else out there. Awesome. And I will make sure to put obviously the bio and and the Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and website in, in the show notes. And, you know, like I said, I, I really appreciated you coming on and, and giving us some of that. Thanks wisdom. so much for having me. It, it was, it was my pleasure. I, I love the fact that we can take a lot of the wisdom that you've gathered over the years working with individuals and try to condense it into an hour to, to share some of those nuggets. But uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll reconnect at some point in the future and, and have a part two, but for, oh, absolutely. for, for everybody listening out there, again, if you like the podcast, uh, share it, subscribe, uh, iTunes really, really likes five-star reviews. So it makes us look better and puts us in the new and, and noteworthy category in iTunes, which drives a lot of traffic. Uh, I've actually, some of the most random groups have, have shared us. Uh, apparently we got shared in a, in a, in a young men's Catholic group on Facebook, which caught, caught me off guard, but that's really awesome. And, and a couple of other areas. So, uh, we will put out a couple more episodes. We're on a Wednesday schedule now. And again, if you have any complaints, criticisms, obviously constructive criticism is what's welcome. Uh, ideas, articles, guests you would like for us to interview, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys soon. <laughs>